My first job when I was in high school was at the local Save-A-Lot in my hometown. I was a stock boy. And one day I was in the back of the store. I was throwing boxes in the baler. That's what we did with them. And, and we were tying it up with these wire ties is what we used at the time. I think they changed after this. But there was this malfunction, and one of the ties broke, and it came back, and it hit me in the eye. And I was wearing a contact, and I couldn't see real clear after that, so I took my contact out, and I still couldn't see real clear after that. So I asked my boss, like, am I okay? And he goes, which was not a good sign. So I walked to the optometrist. My doctor was like around the corner. I got there, 16 years old. She tells me just very matter-of-factly, I don't know if you're going to keep your eye. That's a really scary thing to hear at 16 years old. I don't know if I'm going to keep my eye. I was afraid of losing that. When I got to college, my wife and I, we were dating, and things were getting pretty serious, and, and there was this time where she almost broke up with me. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember why, all I remember was I loved this girl, I was pretty sure I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, and I was about to lose all of that. And it was a really scary thing, the prospect of, of losing her. As I think about these moments and I think about the other times in my life that were scary or that I was afraid or that stand out because of fear, I realize there's this common theme that ties all of it together. I was afraid of losing something valuable. Sometimes it was a, a body part, sometimes it was a person, Sometimes it's control, sometimes it's, it's a relationship. And if you were to look at the times in your life that really caused you to fear and that were scary and that stand out because of that powerful emotion, I'm willing to bet you would notice the same theme emerge. The threat of loss is what stokes up the fires of fear in our lives. Again, it might be a thing, it might be an opportunity, it might be a, a person, a relationship, control, comfort. Loss is a scary thing. But what if it didn't have to be that way? I mean, fear can serve a good purpose in our life, right? Like sometimes fear is a survival mechanism. If, if you're in the woods and you run into a bear, you're going to be afraid. Listen to that fear. Get away. If your wife comes home with a bad haircut, she says, what do you think, fellas? Listen to that fear. Get away. Run. It's a trap. Sometimes fear is a healthy thing to listen to, but a lot of times fear doesn't have anything to do with survival. It has everything to do with loss. What if we were made for more than fear? What if we were made to live a bold, free kind of life? That's the question we're wrestling with this morning as we wrap up this sermon series that we've been in for the past four weeks now. It's called Made for More. A lot of times what we settle for in life is less than what God made us for. And what we let God do in our lives is less than what he wants to do. Like we become the bottleneck for God's work in us and through us because we just accept I've been made for this and really he's like, no, I made you for so much more than that. And really we just we need to open our eyes and realize the potential of what he can do and who he calls us to be. And today we're wrestling with that fear idea. We were made for more than fear. And to guide us in this, we're gonna be looking at a, a story from the book of Acts Chapter 4. If you've got Bibles with you, you can open those up, follow along in Acts chapter 4. Or if you want to take the next step, you can download the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device. Click the Sunday button on your navigation bar. It's got a Bible. It's got sermon notes. It's got a way to connect with us after the sermon. It's a great tool to have at your disposal. So Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And Acts 4 is this story with something to say about an uncommon kind of boldness. And that's really what we need in this life. Fear is very common. What we need is an uncommon boldness, and we see that put on display for us in this passage. A little bit of background to help us understand where we're jumping in at. This story takes place after Jesus has been crucified, 
after he's been raised back to life, after he's ascended to heaven. It takes place after the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus and the church is born, big day. Story continues, and some of these apostles, they keep preaching. Two of them, Peter and John, they go to the temple courts in Jerusalem. And when they get there, there's a fellow there that was born lame, meaning he, he couldn't walk since the day he was born. And we don't know exactly what his condition was. We just know that he, he couldn't get around, he couldn't walk. And so his life was to sit around in the temple courts and ask for donations. That's how he got by. And Peter and John, they say, you know, we, we don't really have any money on us, but we'll do you one better. Boom, healed. And this guy who is born lame, he stands up and he begins to walk and he begins to, to move around. Maybe he dances, I don't know. But everybody knows this guy is the lame man that sits in the temple courts and asks for money and all of a sudden he's walking around and they go, this is an incredible thing, what happened here? And Peter and John, they say, sit around, let me tell you. There's this guy named Jesus and it goes from there. They start to preach. And that's where our passage picks up in Acts chapter four, verse one. It goes like this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, why are they so disturbed by that? It's because this is the group of people that had Jesus executed. If you worked really hard to have somebody killed, the last thing you want is for people to say, no, he's alive, and if you believe in him and worship him, you can live too. That's not a great thing for them. So they're very upset. So it goes on. It says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So we had 3,000, 2,000 more people put their faith in Christ. Things are off to a great start for the church. We keep going. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? So Peter and John, they're in jail overnight, and the next day they stand trial in front of this Jewish judiciary committee, and all the big wigs in Jewish society are there. You got two names in particular we need to pay attention to. One is Annas, one is Caiaphas. Now, Annas, like the book says, that's the high priest of the Jewish people. Caiaphas was the former head priest. He was also Annas's father-in-law, so this is family. These two are also the ones that play the instrumental role in having Jesus executed. They came up with the plan. They were the power players. They greased the right wheels. They made it happen. Now, you would think, okay, here's two somewhat corrupt guys. Maybe the rest of this judiciary committee will help things out. But we read that these other guys are members of the same family. This is basically the mob, okay? They whacked Jesus, and now standing before them are what we like to call loose ends, named Peter and John. This is a great opportunity for them to just sum up everything. And Peter and John are not dumb. They know what Annas and Caiaphas did. They know that their lives are in peril here and that the stakes could not be higher. This is a time to be afraid, right? Because that's the deal with fear. The higher the stakes, the more we fear in this life. The more we stand to lose, the more we are afraid. Case in point, when I was 16, I had that grocery store job. There was a time about halfway through my time there, it was bought out by somebody else. And there was a question, are they gonna bring in new management? Are they just gonna fire everybody and start clean slate? And people were worried about losing their jobs. Now I'm 16, I gotta pay my car insurance and my gas, but that's about the extent of my financial responsibility. 
So this is not a big deal to me. You know, if I get fired from Save-A-Lot, I'll just go to the Quickie Mart right across the street. There are a lot of minimum wage jobs in Salem, Illinois. But for people whose job, or whose livelihood came from this job, who had to support their families from this job, the stakes were a lot higher. There was way more to lose, and they were afraid. I mean, we can understand that, too. A lot of us probably know people or have family or friends that may have lost their jobs at WIU recently. These are people who rely on that job to support their families and to meet their obligations, and right now a lot of them are afraid, and understandably so. And if you know those people, I encourage you, reach out to them, pray for them, encourage them, because they need to know that there is hope. As fear grows, as the stakes grow, fear grows as well. So you would think that Peter and John would be terrified, because their lives are on the line. The stakes couldn't be higher. But then the story takes this surprising turn. Listen to how things go in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone or the capstone, the most important stone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Peter and John, they stand before their judges, and they kind of flip the script a little bit. And they start to turn the tables and start prosecuting their judges, saying, hey, we're here today because of Jesus. Y'all remember Jesus, right? The guy you had crucified? Well, God raised him back to life, so I guess you're really messed up on that one. And they don't seem afraid at all. And the judges are kind of caught off guard. If we were to keep reading the story, we'd hear that they call a recess, basically, and they get together and say, what are we going to do about these guys? We've never come across this before in all of our years. The best they can come up with is they come back and say to Peter and John, you guys better quit preaching Jesus or else... And Peter and John don't let up. They go, okay, well, if we got to choose between listening to you or listening to God, what do you guys think we're going to do? Because he's the one back in this mission. You're going to have to take it up with him. They look like they have everything to lose, and yet they live like they have nothing to lose. There is an uncommon boldness that just radiates off of them and echoes in their words. And us sitting here today, we're saying, how can I get some of that, Right? How can I have that boldness in my life? Because I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that all of us are probably tired of losing sleep to the things that cause us fear, and we're probably tired of losing peace and having our joy stolen away when things go wrong. Am I the only one? No, thank you. All right, so we all want this boldness in our life. Where do we find it? That's the question we're asking this morning. And the key is actually right in our passage, right in front of our face. And as we kind of flesh that out, I want to make two observations from this story about fear and boldness and the role they play in our lives. First one is about fear, and it's this. We suffer from fear when we look at life or when we view life through the lens of mortality. Let me say that again. We suffer fear when we view life through the lens of mortality. That sounds really weighty and lofty, right? So let me break that down. Average lifespan is 80 years or so. And when we look at this life as if all we have are 80 or so years, like this is, this is what we got. 80 years are done, then I go in the dirt, roll credits. Life becomes terrifying. We are filled with fear when 80 years is all we get. 
I want to draw your attention to a passage, or verse rather, from this passage we read. It's chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This passage is the heart and soul of this story. It's the reason that Peter and John can have this uncommon boldness, and honestly, it's the secret of how we can have that boldness too. We're going to start to break this down just word by word, phrase by phrase, so we really take this in and drink this in. We're gonna start at the beginning with salvation. What is salvation? That kind of implies that there is some danger we're in, right? Because you don't need saving whenever things are good. And my wife and I, we were in Cozumel, uh, Mexico, for vacation one time, and we were down on the ocean, and, and this is gonna sound funny. I know a lot of times, if you're familiar with me, I look like I got it put together and like I'm a grown-up. I grew this beard so people will take me seriously. But... But here's the deal. Inside, I'm 12 years old. And so when we go to the ocean, one of my favorite things to do is to fight the ocean. And you heard that right. I like to fight the ocean. And what I do is I stand in the water and I let the waves hit me. And then I'll go out a little bit deeper and I'll let them hit me. And I'll go out a little bit deeper and I'll let them hit me until I have to like fight to stand up. And I keep doing this until the waves get the best of me and just like knock me over and wash me all over the place. It's a blast. I have a great time with it. So we're in Mexico. I'm fighting the ocean, doing my thing. And I'm getting probably about to chest depth and I hear the lifeguard on the beach start to blow his whistle. And I'm looking around, like, I'm fine, man. Everything's okay, just I, you mind your own business. So I go out a little bit further, and the lifeguard keeps blowing his whistle, and now he's waving his hand in. I'm like, what is he doing? I'm, I don't need a nanny on my vacation. I'm fine. And then I looked around, and I was not fine because I was no longer on the resort beach. I had been washed over into the restricted area that they didn't clear off, and so a lot of the marine life tended to gather together. And I was way further out than I thought I was, and it was actually kind of hard to swim back to shore. I thought everything was fine. In reality, I just didn't realize the danger I was in. And a lot of times, that's how we live our lives. We think everything's fine. And we go through our days thinking, I'm fine. Nobody needs to worry. I don't need to worry. In reality, though, we oftentimes just don't realize the danger we're in. So I'm going to bring things down and get real heavy real quick for a second. Every single one of us sitting in this room today suffers from an incurable disease called mortality. The death rate is 100%, and you are not an exception. There's going to come a day where your eyes will close, where your heart will stop beating, where the breath will leave your lungs, and you will not wake up on this earth. I promise you that will happen. Might be tomorrow, might be 50 years from now. I don't know. Time frame is kind of nebulous, but the reality is the same. We are gonna die. That's the situation. That's the danger we're in. And when we view our life through that lens of mortality, okay, that this 80 or so years is all I get, it becomes a pressure cooker that intensifies every challenge, every obstacle, and every loss in our lives, all right? You might think about it like this. If I have a timeline, okay, and I'm zoomed in really close, this is all I got. If I have a challenge, like job loss, or I lose somebody, or something bad happens, that challenge becomes an insurmountable mountain that I have to uh, uh, come against. I have to find a way to climb this huge challenge in my life. It looks huge. That's what happens when I view my life as if it's 80 years or so and then it's done. But if I were to step back and if there was a, 
a possibility that my life wasn't 80 years, but that it kept going on and on and on, and, and that death wasn't a reality, that there was something after this. What looked like a mountain up close kind of shrinks down into a speed bump in the grand picture of things. You see, when we view life like this through the lens of mortality, our challenges become intensified because we don't think there's anything else coming. This is it. This is all we got. You might think about it like this. I love Marvel movies, the superhero movies that are really big. For the last 10 years, they've been making these things. My wife and I go see all of them because it's just a lot of fun. And so they've all been building up to a movie that was released last year called Infinity War. Now, if you haven't seen that movie, I'm going to ruin it for you today. Sorry. At the end of that movie, half the cast dies and the bad guy wins. There you go. Now, that's how it ends. Roll credits. I'm not kidding. Now, I'm sorry to disappoint. If that's how the franchise ended, half the hero's dead, bad guy wins, smiling into the sunset, that would be a devastating ending. If there was nothing that came after, and that's how everything ends, everything leading up to that is just, it's so impactful, it's so emotional, it's, it's something that's going to resonate with you. But that's not how it ends. You see, there's another movie coming. In fact, it's released next month. I will be first in line. You can join me if you want. There's another movie coming. And the fact that there is more to the story, that I know that's not how it ends with half the cast dead, but there's more story to tell that goes on and on, that kind of lessens the emotional impact of all of this other stuff, right? Because there's more. Anything could happen. The same thing happens in life. When I view through the lens of mortality, and all I get is 80 years or so, everything's intensified. That fear of death is the foundation for all of our other fears as well because if I got 80 years and then I lose my job or I lose my house or I lose an opportunity or I lose my health or I lose my comfort or I lose my friend or my family or my kid or somebody that I love, that is a mountain that is gonna ruin this 80 years. How can I overcome that? That's a terrifying realization. But if this is a lie... If this is not all I have, but there is an opportunity for life to go on and on and on and on, what looked like a mountain zoomed up close becomes a speed bump in the grand scheme of things, and I can get over a speed bump. It's not going to be easy, but I can push through because there's better days coming. What if we're not limited to 80 years? What if that lens of mortality isn't the only option? That's what our passage is talking about. We are in danger of death. Every single one of us. But the possibility to be saved from that enemy, to be saved from the limitations of just 80 or so years, and to be given life that does not end is real. That's what the passage is getting at. But this opportunity, this invitation, it doesn't just automatically happen. It doesn't come to everybody. It doesn't come through every philosophy, every ideal, every religion. It's actually a pretty exclusive thing. And by exclusive, I don't mean it's only a handful of people it's offered to. I mean, there's only one path and one way that truly leads to this life and this promise. And our passage tells us it's in one name, no other name, the one name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. He's talking about Jesus. And when you understand, you gotta you appreciate that. You gotta understand what it means, means when it says the one name. Okay, it's not saying you just gotta know who Jesus is, like his identity, in an ancient world, in an ancient writings, name has more to do with authority than it does identity. Like you might think about it like this. If you were to go to the bank and sign a contract or, or to sign a, a, a document, a piece of paper or something, you would have to sign on the dotted line. That's not because the bank cares what your name is. And they don't need to know how to spell it either. 
They need to know that you authorize this transaction. You authorize this contract. Or think about it like this. In ancient days, a king, he would make an edict, and he'd write it down on a scroll, and then he'd put a seal on it, and that seal was his signature, and it authorized this edict. It said everything on this page has the authority of the king behind it. That's what our passage is saying. There's only one authority that can actually deliver on this promise and this hope. And we all know it. Whether you're a believer, you're an unbeliever, you're not real sure where you're at, we have all experimented with the different authorities in this world when things go wrong and things go sideways, and oftentimes we find ourselves disappointed. Sometimes when we get scared and things go wrong and we're about to lose something, we turn to the government. Government's going to save us. Yeah, right? Government's going to legislate everything. They're going to solve all the problems. They can't keep themselves together. How are they going to keep our lives together, y'all? Okay, we all know the best they can do maybe is a temporary Band-Aid. That authority's not going to save. Sometimes when, when people we love get sick or we get sick, we turn to the authorities of modern medicine. We say the doctors are going to save us, the doctors are going to heal us, and they are going to give 110% of their energy because nobody goes into that profession because they have the plan of being lazy. They genuinely want to help and care. And I'll tell you this, doctors do a phenomenal job. Nurses do a phenomenal job. Modern medicine blows my mind, the things we can do today. But the sad reality is that the mortality rate for humanity still rests at a solid 100%. Modern medicine can provide some phenomenal Band-Aids, but they are still just Band-Aids. They can't deal with the foundations of our fear. Sometimes when life gets scary, we turn to culture for answers. What's everybody else doing? What are they saying? How does society say I should fix this? What's the popular opinion on how to go about solving this issue? It's funny that we turn to our culture because just 60 years ago, our culture thought people needed to use different bathrooms and, and go to different schools based on the color of their skin. That was popular opinion. And today we look at that and say, that's bogus. Who in the world thought that was a good idea? The culture, that's who. Why would we trust our lives? Why would we try to build a foundation on something that is so fluid and ever-changing as the whims of our culture? And still other times, when we get scared or something goes wrong in life, we just turn to ourselves. I'm enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I can solve this. I can fix this. I'm enough. But you're not. None of us are. Every cemetery in this town is a testament to the fact that we are not enough that we can't solve the foundation of our fears, this, this fear of death, this 80-year mortality that we have. When this is how we view life, it's terrifying. There's only one authority that can liberate us from that fear because there's only one authority that can liberate us from death, and it's Jesus. That's right. Now, we might say, why should I put my faith in Christ? Because he's already beat death once. You remember what Peter and John said back to those Jewish authorities? In verse 10, they said, this Jesus whom you crucified but whom God raised back to life. You see, Jesus isn't in the dirt somewhere. There's a reason that nobody venerates the body of Jesus. Nobody goes to the tomb that says, here lies Jesus of Nazareth. It's because he's not there. And if you want to prove otherwise, you're up against some of the greatest minds this human society has ever raised or concocted. So the most educated people in the world have sought to disprove the resurrection of Jesus and said, never mind, I believe in Jesus. There is power, there is hope, there's reason to believe. We aren't just rolling the dice and betting on black. We're not buying a Powerball ticket hoping we strike the big win, okay? There is reason to believe in what Jesus has to say and do. 
When we look at life through the lens of mortality, that's when we're filled with fear. However, here's the other observation. We are filled with boldness when we look at life through the lens of Christ. When we understand what he has done, what he has given us, what he has accomplished, when we really believe that death is defeated and he's bringing us along for the ride, we don't have a reason to fear. When the foundation of our fears, death, that turns everything into that pressure cooker, when that's defeated, the rest of the tower starts to crumble and our fears start to melt into the background. You look at Peter and John. Here are two guys whom a lot of people would look at and say, you guys stand to lose everything. And they say, no, we have been given everything. You can take my house, you can put me in prison, you can bury me in the dirt, and you still can't take away what Christ has given me. You still can't strip away the life that goes on and on and on and on and on that Jesus has accomplished and given me. It's just not gonna happen. You see, when we look at life through a different lens, not this lens of mortality that's so limited that says we got 80 or so years. When we look at the bigger picture and realize Christ has given us 80 years and then 80 years and then 80 years on into eternity, those mountains that look so insurmountable, that look like such a challenge, when we zoom out and look at this road of eternity, they look like a speed bump. And church, you can get through a speed bump. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna feel pretty. But it's not a reason to be afraid either. There's no reason to let that steal your joy and diminish your gratitude. There's no reason to let that take your sleep and diminish your happiness. There's no reason to let it infringe upon your relationships and drive you into a dark place because you can get over a speed bump. You take something like job, job loss, for instance. You know, if we have 80 years, we lose our job, that's a mountain. How am I gonna get over this? What if my best years are behind me? What if the market's not good? What if I have to change career paths? There's so many questions that could cause us to be distracted and to be discouraged. And we might say to ourselves, I'm never going to get back to where I was. This is a terrifying thing. Look at everything I've lost. But in the grand scheme of eternity, that job loss, while difficult for 80 or so years, it's a speed bump on the road to eternity. I'm not saying you're gonna find a better job. I'm not saying you're gonna find a job that pays just as much. What I am saying is you don't need to be afraid because that job loss, what has been taken away, it can't touch what you've been given in Christ. It can't touch that hope and that peace and that promise. Or you take something like sickness. And when we talk about sickness, really we're talking about suffering. I don't wanna lose comfort and gain pain. And I get that, nobody wants that. When I'm sick, I'm a baby, just ask my wife. I lay on the couch and I moan and I bellyache and I don't want to do anything. I don't want pain. None of us do. But here's the thing. If 80 or so years is all I got and then I'm dead, I'm in the dirt, roll credits, that sickness is terrifying. I only have so many years and you want to fill those with pain and anguish? No, that's a scary thought. But if I have an eternity, then that sickness becomes a season. Not forever, it becomes a season. Now, not an easy season. It's got challenges, it's got hardships, it's got frustrations, but it's just a season. And every season has an end. And when it's done, it's done. And you've got forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to rejoice and to celebrate and to feel amazing, okay? That sickness can take a lot from you, but it cannot take what you've been given in Christ. You don't need to be afraid. Or you take something like loss of a, a person, a loved one. I think we probably feared that more than we fear our own death because that's gonna leave a gap and a void that only pain and sorrow can fill. 
And if we look at life through this, this lens of all I've got is 80 or so years, that could destroy a person. That much sorrow and grief. But I'm gonna tell you, if that person, that loved one, knows Jesus and has this hope and has this life, that season of separation is just a season. And it may feel like hell. But there's a day of reunion coming that's gonna be heaven. And nothing can take that away. Nothing can diminish that promise or that joy. Nothing can close that book and say, mm this isn't gonna happen. When we're lost and we're separated, or when we lose somebody and we're separated, it hurts. But there is so much more coming forever and ever and ever that cannot be taken away. Loss may steal, but Christ gives something that cannot be taken away, hope. And when you have that hope and you have that promise, you can have boldness in this life. And there will be challenges. I'm not gonna sell you on some easy road. Life's gonna be a slice of cake just because you follow Jesus. In fact, it might get harder. But I'm gonna tell you, eternity is opened up to you. You are liberated from death. You are saved from the grave. You can have boldness to face the challenges and the things that cause fear in this world because what has been given to you cannot be taken away. Not by the devil, not by death, not by sickness, not by job loss, not by nothing, folks. You have been given an amazing gift called salvation. And the one authority who has promised and can actually deliver on this has said to you, I'm offering this to you right here, right now, forever, end of story. We don't need to be afraid. In fact, you might say we were made for more than fear. We weren't made to live under the thumb of fear and death. That's why Christ came into this world. He died on a cross to liberate us from sin and death, to give us a life of unending hope and abundance, to grant us boldness in these days because we know there are more days coming. There's another movie, so to speak, and the credits don't roll on that one. You don't need to be afraid, church. But here's the reality. Us in this room, the people who have this hope, that have this Christ, that have this message hidden in our hearts, we don't have to be afraid. But there's a whole world of people out there that are afraid because they don't have this hope. They don't have this message. They don't know the gift that's been offered to them and they're stuck in the lens of mortality saying, I got 80 or so years. And so when job loss strikes their life, they are terrified because they say, what if my best years are behind me? And when sickness encroaches on their life, they are terrified because they say, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life and my existence in pain. And when they're burying their loved ones, they don't have a day of reunion that they're looking forward to. And so there's nothing to comfort them but sorrow and grief. There's a world of people out there that are terrified. And God did not make them to live that way. He made them to have life and to have hope, the same that you and I have life and hope. And church, if there is one name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, and we know that name, I don't think we should be able to sleep at night unless we bring it to them. Because there are neighbors, and there are coworkers, and there are classmates that need to be liberated from fear and death. And that's on us. And to that end, I wanna introduce something to you this morning. We're actually gonna initiate it next week, but I want you to be thinking about it this week, something called the Just One Challenge. Everybody in this room has one person in their life that right now is afraid because they don't know Christ and they're stuck in the confines of mortality. 
Now, Jesus tells us as a church, go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, but he hasn't told you as an individual to go to the ends of the earth. He hasn't told you as an individual to preach to every living soul in existence. That'd be crazy, right? And neither has he told you as an individual to go out to every single person, even in your community, in a Monmouth, because even that is a massive undertaking. But one person, one person is manageable. One person is very doable. Because if each and every one of us takes one person, that's how we start to change a community. That's how we start to change a world. That's how we start to bring the nations to Jesus is one person at a time. And so I want to challenge you to find your one, not because they're a project, but because you love them and you want them to know hope and you want them to know peace, and you want them to know boldness, and you want them to realize this is not all life is, that there is an eternity that God is offering to them. So be praying this week, God, show me who my one is, and then be bold. Don't be afraid to speak truth in love. Be bold. Speak, invite, pray. That's what the Just One Challenge is all about. We're gonna talk more about it next week, but I wanna encourage you to do that. This week, if you need Christ, if you need that life, if you need that hope and that promise, that boldness, you don't have to wait until somebody makes you their one. You can make that decision this morning, right now. We're gonna have four baptisms today. Three, four baptisms. Yeah, it's awesome. And we're gonna have some young people that are gonna come forward and they're gonna receive life and they're gonna receive this Holy Spirit that equips them with boldness and power in this life so they don't have to fear. And if you wanna join them today, I'm gonna be right over here. We're gonna sing a song. We're gonna stand and sing in just a couple seconds. Come find me. Let's make a decision. Let's be baptized. Let's offer you something. That's a dumb way to say it. Let me help you become who God made you to be. That's what I wanted to say. With that said, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for life and hope and power that comes in Christ. There's so many times in this life where we feel powerless. And there are times where we feel like we are victimized by, by reality, by society, by happenstance and circumstance. But God, you have given us everything we need to be so much more than that. We are not victims in this world. We are victors in this world. We are not suffering or subject to death. We have been given life. We are not hopeless. We can have boldness because we know the grave has been defeated in Jesus. And Father, that hope comes through no other name. And we can try to put our hope and our trust in every other authority in this world, but we know that they fall flat because there's only one name under heaven by which we are saved. And Jesus, we praise you for that gift. We praise you for that power. We praise you for why you came into this world and what you accomplished on that cross. And Jesus, it's to you we give all the glory. Go with us, help us be bold and to conquer fear in this life because you have made us to be so much more than fearful. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things, amen. Stand.